We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bobby, we covered a ton of ground with NFL Insider and CBS Sports' Josina Anderson over the weekend, and she shed some light on the recent news surrounding Lamar Jackson that we think is worth breaking down. Yeah, so let's begin with a topic that we covered right off the top with Josina, and, and that's the fact that she reported before the franchise tag deadline that teams had used their channels to initially inquire about what Lamar has been offered to date from the Ravens. So based on that, we asked her if she has a sense about whether the multiple reports out there are true that no teams will attempt to draw up an offer sheet for Lamar to ultimately sign with them. There have been uh, teams that have uh, reached out, some that are not currently mentioned in the mix of teams that everyone was kind of jumping on uh, with respect to the immediate responses right after Lamar got uh, tagged with the non-exclusive tag. And then some of them were a part of that, even the ones that are denying (laughs) uh, that they were a part of that. And not from a standpoint that it is a guarantee that they were going to be doing anything, but more so just to be gathering information. Like, so one of the teams that I was talking about that is not among the, the, the teams that where you know uh, reporters were gathering information from uh, that sp- specific time. Um, really, what I heard they were trying to check in was just you know the price of what he was asking for, you know, to keep tabs. But just to add to that tweet, and I haven't even uh, you know had a chance to follow up on that tweet, Sarah, as I kind of reached back out to that team uh, and spoke to another person in the building um, just to kind of get a sense of you know, what they were thinking on uh, Lamar and um, and just to kind of compare it to some of this other stuff that's there in the Twitter sphere. The statement was kind of like, you know, it's not so simple. You know, there's a lot of things to consider when integrating a quarterback like Lamar. Again, this is not, you know, what I'm saying. I'm telling you what I was, you know, told during this conversation. And so I was asking, like, you know, what do you mean? Well, there's a lot of pieces, you know, things that you got to do and all these other things. And you have to and then the money, you got to consider the money. So in the middle of that conversation, I said to this particular person, I said, well, you know me, I like to keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. And so then I said, is Lamar Jackson better than the quarterback that you have? Yes. Okay. And I said, and then how many, how many games do you feel like you needed in order to have made the postseason? So that's a little bit of a clue there. And then, you know, they said, you know, two or three. So I, I said to them, so is Lamar a two or three game difference? 
Yes. And so I'm like, so why is this any more complicated? We know that the quarterback, uh, at least when you're talking about the top five in APY, and that's going to change here when Jalen deal gets done, uh, Burrow and what have you, but just going from Patrick Mahomes at 45, Deshaun at 46, Kyler Moore at 46.1, uh, Russell at 48, uh, Pat, uh, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers at 50. You're spending, you, you know that you're spending a minimum of 45 for a Lamar. And look at what the, the Saints just did with Derek Carr, who notoriously never have any space, making space for Derek Carr. So let's not make it about the money as complicated or what have you. I was a little taken aback by some of the hurdles I was hearing as opposed to, to me, what should be more automatic thinking of incorporation. All right. So first off, teams have checked in. So it seems they are doing some of that due diligence. That doesn't mean an offer will be made, but the idea that teams weren't even interested in even just figuring some stuff out, well, that's inaccurate. And then there was that interesting nugget from Josina at the end there. I kind of wonder if the team she was talking about was the Detroit Lions based on the clue she gave, but that is just a guess. I have no idea. Whoever it was, she made it sound like that team was kind of implying that it feels like it would almost have to restructure the entire offense for a quarterback like Lamar. Well, there are some significant differences between eight and Jared Goff, but uh, she wasn't done there either. Listen to this. You're saying why, why put yourself in the corner so that if the season doesn't materialize the way that you want, you know what everybody's going to say? Oh, well, I guess you should have had some time for Lamar. You know, so why <laughs> even do that? Like, like, you know, and it's not as if it's not as if it's just like what someone was saying to me when we were talking about it might have been Bakari, uh, Bakari, um, who I just had on my show from CNN, he was saying, like, it's, it's not as if you're the 49ers. It's not as if you were the Chiefs or what have you making that comment and you have, like, this long jetway of, you know, leash to, you know, to be whatever. You're saying this as a team still trying to get over its skis. So, to me, from a PR standpoint, it just it just doesn't make self. You're just, you know, adding more smoke around yourself. So, Sarah, I'm guessing she's referring to some teams like Atlanta, Carolina, at least prior to their draft shuffling from over the weekend. Las Vegas, Washington, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like teams that are in desperate need of quarterbacks yet ruled themselves out of the Lamar sweepstakes almost immediately. It was mind-boggling then, and maybe it's even more mind-boggling now, but as former NFL agent Joe Corey noted on Twitter recently, in his estimation, one significant factor in the hesitancy from some of these teams is quite simply understanding that their process of putting together and ultimately potentially signing Lamar to an offer sheet would then just be matched by Steve Bashotti and the Ravens and in turn potentially solve a more than two-year disagreement ultimately keeping Lamar in Baltimore. And I mean, that's not the only factor out there as we've covered in recent episodes, but certainly a big one indeed. And so, Bobby, let's go from that. Let's get into what Joe Cena had to say about the potential scenario of Lamar having to play 2023 the entire season on the franchise tag in Baltimore yeah so if it were to come to that Josina thinks there's a strong chance he'd suit up and play and you know what Sarah based on the risk that was involved this time last year on his fifth year option with no long-term extension in sight who's to say Lamar wouldn't be perfectly content to ride it out again this fall 
especially given, you know, the considerable spike in salary on the tag. I was told, yes, the CBA has made it harder for players, you know, to hold out per kind of just the modifications that they made the last time uh, both sides were at the table in their labor talk. So it is more difficult. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're principled um, about uh, how you feel about something that and if you feel like you got money in the bank that you, you know, don't may not care about fines and things like that. Um you know, but I was told at the time that, you know, he would do what he, you know, would have to do. I think at the end of the day too, you know, and, and I've been through this with many, many, many players. I've been covering the, I've been covering the NFL since 2002. But when you're going through a situation like this, it, it, it it's so emotional, especially if there is, you know, a contract dispute. And so, but at the end of the day, Yes, deadlines do spur action, but also the um, the eminent, um, you know, just kind of uh, the countdown to the season also spurs action. And, and at the end of the day, you know, Lamar wants to be out there. And um, I think he's also very keenly aware of, you know, just, you know, the fan base and all these other things and his own internal love for being out there. So um, I, I don't think and I, of course, it could be wrong because it, it's him. It's not me. I, I do feel like that the desire to be on the field and the desire to and his love still for the game will still supersede a principle that I, I do believe is important and, and, and one that he's mindful of, but still would not supersede him getting back on the field at some point. And, 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 and if that would be either just returning to the Baltimore Ravens and them agreeing to a deal or on the tag. All right, so those were just a couple of snippets of a more than 40-minute conversation with Josina. So if you haven't already, go out and check out the full interview. It's episode number 208 in the archives. But still to come here on The Vault, I'll make some sense of Baltimore's recent contract restructures. All right, partner. Last week, we left off with one of the first moves Baltimore made prior to free agency as a way, of course, of clearing up cap space. And that was trading safety Chuck Clark to the New York Jets for a 2024 seventh rounder. And that cleared up a little just north of four million in cap space. So catch us up to speed as to what happened from there. Yeah, sure. So on Friday, it was reported that both defensive tackle Michael Pierce and running back Gus Edwards, they both restructured their deals. Now, Bobby, you and I had mentioned both of these guys a few times on this show, saying there was no way either one would be on the Ravens' roster under the scheduled caps that they had. So they were cap casualty candidates. But now, now that their deals have been modified, we know that both will return in 2023 with an ex- less expensive cap hits. Now, that's great news as far as I'm concerned. I expect Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins to return to form after another year removed from knee surgery. And really, there was no way that Pierce wanted to hit free agency since coming off an injury-filled year. He only played in three games. And it's better for the Ravens, too, that Pierce returns at a cheaper price because between the dead money it would have taken to cut him and then having to pay more money to replace him, it would have cost the Ravens more to part ways. So let's go right ahead and jump into the details of these restructured deals because one, at the very least, is pretty unique and 
it might be telling us something, maybe, about Lamar's situation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, First of all, we don't have the info yet on Gus Edwards. If those details come out sometime later today, Monday, we'll for sure have them in the next episode. But with Gus, we do know that he had a scheduled $5.6 million cap hit. I imagine the Ravens could get around $2 million or so off of that. Meanwhile... We do have the details of the Michael Pierce restructure. And you're right, Bobby, it is very unique, at least here in Baltimore. Okay, so first off, Pierce did take a straight-up pay cut. Okay, that's much different from most restructures where players still get all of their money, most of it up front, and the team gets to push cap space down the road. But this time, Pierce reportedly took a $2 million pay cut of a total restructure that was $2.7 million overall. So that $2 million is not pushed onto future caps unless he hits an unlikely-to-be-earned incentive. Now, more notably, this is the big part, for the first time ever, Brian McFarlane reported that the Ravens used void years in Pierce's contract, and quote, but in a twist, they also removed 2024 from Pierce's deal, close quote. So he will now be an unrestricted free agent after this season. So Sarah, just for those that aren't as on top of contract language and stuff like that, can you explain what a void year is and, and why that's significant here? Okay, so void years are really dummy seasons added to the end of contracts. And that's so teams can spread out signing bonuses throughout all the remaining years of including those voided years. Now, Eric DaCosta never used that before because it's just pushing money down the line. And then when a player gets cut, and I put cut in in quotation marks because really they're just being released because, again, those void years are dummy years. But you have to kind of officially cut them. And when that happens, all the money that was put into those void years, that bill comes due in one single cap hit. Uh, that's not been what Eric likes to use because it, you know, hurts the cap down the road. Now, in this case, it's also important to note that Eric used these void years in a very minor way. It will only add up right now. It will only add up to about 668,000 in dead money when he's quote unquote released. Now that's pennies in cap terms. So just to play devil's advocate, for the purpose of the exercise, why then use it at all? Like what's the point of breaking precedent if it really doesn't create any room? Yeah, it does. It does create a little room, but the reason why, and I was wondering the same thing at first, you just got to connect the dots. And of course those dots lead to this unprecedented situation with Lamar Jackson. It is very clear that Eric DaCosta is putting himself in a position to match any offer sheet Lamar could get after the market opens on Wednesday. So if he needs to, he could move more money into those void years. He just hasn't done a a ton of it yet because he doesn't know what's going to come out there. And we're going to find out later, Bobby, but my guess is he may have used void years with Gus Edwards too. Okay, so according to Brian McFarland, the Ravens are, quote, going to structure deals to max out their ability to create cap space this year, close quote. And Bobby, that perfectly leads us into Ian Rappaport explaining to Pat McAfee why teams may not send offer sheets at all. A couple of things that are working against a team signing him into an offer sheet. A lot of people think Baltimore would match. So no matter what, I mean, only the Bears I would have to look at the cap space, but... All right, here, we got a graphic. We got a graphic. We got a graphic. Yeah, okay. So, the Bears, the Falcons, and really that's it. Really just those two teams. 
could structure an offer sheet in a way that would make it almost impossible for Baltimore to match. My sense is the Falcons are not doing it. Why? The Bears have... Do we know why? What are we... Is this not Artie Smith's plans? Like, they were just in on... Deshaun, right? Oh, yeah, big time. Is it because of the guaranteed contract situation? And that's why, like, Cleveland got Deshaun and Atlanta didn't. Like, Atlanta proved. I mean, I think think that is some of it, yeah, because let's say say the Falcons, this is not happening, but I'm just saying, let's say the Falcons say, all right, we're going to give Lamar Jackson a fully guaranteed contract. You have to hand over a check to the league office of $250 million fully guaranteed right away. Like, that is a disincentive for teams to do that. Plus, let's say you're the Falcons still, because you're still the Falcons, and you want to spend in free agency. Well, you're allocating $250 million to Lamar Jackson starting on Wednesday. You can't do anything else for five days until you know whether or not Baltimore is going to match. And let's say Baltimore does match, then you basically missed out on free agency. So, Sarah, after seven months of vague and contradictory reporting on the offer Baltimore made to Lamar Jackson, we finally, finally have more concrete details, and they're pretty eye-opening. Yeah, very much so, Bobby. Uh, For the first time in all of these months, I can finally say that we have some numbers that I personally actually trust. And I'll explain why more in a little bit, but let's first get to what Adam Schefter revealed on his podcast on Monday. Because Morton and I reported on this last September, when Lamar Jackson was offered a deal that he turned down, that included at the time it was offered $133 million due at signing, $133 million guaranteed. The contract also had injury guarantees that brought the guarantees up to $175 million. And it then had a springing guarantee that could have brought the value of the contract, the guaranteed money in the contract, to $200 million dollars in guarantees. Those guarantees were way more than Kyler Murray got from Arizona, way more than Russell Wilson got from the Denver Broncos. And yes, those were the actual numbers and that was the situation. So those really are the guarantees for Lamar Jackson. It also was reported on the injury guarantee 168 million, but another 7 million was guaranteed uh, that would have come due on the fifth day of 2026, making it 175. So the real guarantees in Lamar's contract were 133 million at signing, 175 with injury, and 200 million on a springing guarantee that would have kicked in if he was still on the roster on the fifth day of the league year in 2026. So maybe it's not a guarantee, but he would have had to been on the roster for three more years, and then 25 more million would have become guaranteed to make it $200 million. Bottom line, Lamar Jackson passed up a lot of guaranteed money in the hopes that he would get a fully guaranteed contract. And not to say that won't, not to say that some team won't give that to him now, but I think it's a tall order. He's got the help of the NFL Players Association. They're going to try to get this done. But I just don't see a team out there right now 
that's going to be willing to fully guarantee his contract. All right. So obviously, lots of new details there. And what I'd like to do now, Bobby, now that we have these details, is summarize what Schefter just said in comparison to Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. We've never been able to make apples-to-apple comparisons with these three because we've never had this level of detail. Now, before I do, it's important to note that I'm not comparing Lamar to these three quarterbacks based on their play. Lamar is a better quarterback than all three in my view. I'm comparing them because these are currently the highest paid players in NFL history in terms of total guarantees. And that's how the market is decided. That's how the top of the market is determined. It's based on the highest and newest contracts out there. All right. So first, based on what Adam just reported, here's the fully guaranteed money at signing for each guy. Kyler Murray was $103 million. Russell Wilson, 124, Lamar Jackson, 133, and Deshaun Watson, as we know, 230 million. So Lamar was offered, as we know, the second most fully guaranteed money in NFL history behind Watson. Yeah, and Sarah, it should probably be noted that we did know those specific numbers already, but oftentimes this number for Lamar, the 133, was compared to the total guarantees for others, making it seem like from afar or on the outside that Baltimore's offer was disrespectful. Absolutely, that happened. It was conflating of numbers, and Stephen A. Smith led the charge in creating that confusion. So he was either ignorant of the situation or deceptive. Everyone can decide for themselves. All right, let's move on to money guaranteed for injury. Now, these numbers we did not have on Lamar Jackson. Guaranteed for injury, Kyler Murray was $161 million. Russell Wilson, it's a little vague as I do my research, but it looks to be around $160 million too. And then Lamar Jackson, $175 million. Deshaun Watson obviously doesn't have this category in his contract because he was, was fully guaranteed. So again, Lamar was offered the second most in NFL history in injury-guaranteed money, technically still behind Watson, even though the category doesn't exist. Like I said, he still will get that $230 million. So for Lamar, what this means is that if he suffered a career-ending injury at any point before 2026, he'd get $175 million. If he doesn't get hurt before then, well, he rakes in the full value of the deal up to that point. So win-win. Okay, and finally, here's a comparison of the total guaranteed money. Again, we've never been able to do this comparison. The total guaranteed money for Russell Wilson, $161 million. Kyler Murray, $189 million. Lamar Jackson, $200 million. Boy, is it finally nice to see all three numbers in perspective, right? Back to back to back. And, you know, Sarah, I think I'm probably going to try and lob some questions to you that I know we've both gotten on social media here over the next couple of minutes. So first and foremost, who do you think is the source of this information provided to Schefter? Yeah, Bobby, it's no doubt. It is the NFLPA. And I can say that with confidence because Adam says at the beginning of that clip that we just played that he and Chris Mortensen had these figures way back in September. So if you go back to that initial report from September, in it, they clearly named NFLPA sources. It's right there in black and white. Plus, Eric DaCosta also confirmed that those original leaks were from the union. Yeah, and as we chatted about offline on Monday, uh, I actually overlooked that in my instant reaction on my personal YouTube channel. So I appreciated you clearing that up and being so on top of it. But that brings us to the second question. 
So if Schefter and Mortensen had these details back in September, like we know they did, why didn't they reveal them then in those initial reports? Yeah, Bobby, I mean, this is my personal biggest question. To me, it's bananas that they had these details, but they weren't reported back then. I mean, they clearly had them. He just said they did. And on top of that, a couple months ago, Mort texted Marcus Spears and corrected him because he was conflating figures on TV and attacking the Ravens with it. We played that clip when Spears figured it out, when Spears said the total guarantee was $200 million. Even Stephen A. was there and said that number was not disrespectful once he learned of it. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, Stephen A. later went on to reject that figure and went back to conflating. So apparently Stephen A. had a source that said the Ravens were lying about the numbers, but that's kind of crazy because these numbers are coming from the NFLPA. Anyway, I'm glad. Yes, I'm very glad that we finally have these details. But if I personally could ask Schefter one question, and I won't, I won't get that audience, it would be, why weren't these details in the initial article on ESPN when the news broke seven months ago? It would have cleared up so much confusion. It would have changed so many silly debates based on vague or just false information. All right. That takes us to the third question. We both know that ESPN has been all over the place with its reporting. Maybe they wouldn't have been like that if Schefter had released it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Sarah, you made a Twitter video showing how the network has contradicted itself time and time again throughout this process. So what does make you trust these numbers now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, here's why I do trust these, and I haven't been able to fully trust anything before this, and it's because we now have enough data points from several different reporters inside ESPN and outside, and these reporters with various different sources to finally get a more complete picture. Everyone had the 133 million fully guaranteed number. Then Lamar himself told Diana Rossini that guarantees were between 160 and 180 million, and Jeff Zrebeck corroborated their conversation. Then Josina Anderson also reported it was around 180. So this 175 million in injury guarantees, that lines up with all these different reports from various places. And now this is the second time I'm hearing 200 million in total guarantees. So yeah, the numbers finally line up. And even if everything's not exactly right to the, to the T, I feel very confident that these numbers here that Schefter just reported they're they're certainly close. And lastly, Sarah, do you now do you feel like you now have enough information to form an opinion on whether the Ravens offer was fair? Because it's crazy. Despite all of this now being readily available, folks still feel like this wasn't good enough. Yeah, I personally have held off on a definitive opinion lately because of so much confusion. But now that we know the Ravens offered Lamar in each guaranteed category and that each one was the second most in NFL history, putting that all together, to me, it completely blows out the disrespectful narrative and the accusations from that thrown at the Ravens. It wasn't disrespectful. In fact, in my view, it was completely fair because it's more guarantees than anybody in the league outside of Deshaun. Now, that doesn't mean that I think Lamar should have accepted the offer. He clearly has a number in mind that's closer to Watson's. Lamar rightfully gets to say that, hey, Ravens, look, that's the new standard in the QB market. And the Ravens get to say that Watson and the Browns are an outlier because of Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray were after. And as I just showed, he's, he got they offered more than those two guys. So that's exactly what the contract dispute is all about, and that's fine. 
But in my view, the Ravens aren't being disrespectful, nor is Lamar being greedy. There is a disagreement about the market, and that's why Lamar has been given the non-exclusive franchise tag. That tag, that's the hope that the market will give an unbiased opinion on his value to finally settle their dispute. And time will tell whether it's this offseason or some other offseason or whenever, time will tell and the market will give its answer eventually. Still to come here on The Vault, we're breaking down the unofficial start to free agency in Baltimore after a busy, busy Monday. Bobby, let's run through how things played out on Monday, which was the beginning of the NFL's legal tampering period as we push closer and closer to Wednesday afternoon's commencement of the 2023 league year. Yeah, and Sarah, just some housekeeping here before we dive in. It's important to note that none of these signings will be confirmed by NFL teams until after Wednesday, March 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern. But let's begin with Baltimore's decision to release 15-year veteran and no doubt a future Hall of Fame defensive end in Calais Campbell after three seasons with the Ravens. This was a move primarily made with creating cap space in mind, which it certainly did at $7 million, uh, of course, in order to fit Lamar Jackson's tag under the team's salary cap. Now, it's obviously a tough blow on a number of levels to this team, but this is one of the hard realities of life with your franchise QB occupying major space on the tag. And Bobby, if there is any room for optimism about a potential reuniting, it would be this. In Eric DaCosta's statement attached to Campbell's release, he included the following, quote, with his passion, leadership, and toughness, Calais has undoubtedly produced a Hall of Fame-worthy career. While this is the worst part of the business, we have not closed the door on the possibility of him returning to our team in the future. Close quote. Yeah, and Sarah, you know our girl, our new friend, Josina Anderson, already has the scoop from Calais himself. He shared this in a text message to her, quote, I love Baltimore, but everything happens for a reason. I am going to be ready to dominate for someone next season. Some team is going to get a beast out there, close quote. And, you know, Sarah, the big fella has made it clear that at this point in his career, he's chasing a Lombardi trophy and he's willing to do whatever it takes. Of course, he's chasing that uh, that 100th career sack that he's knocking on the door of at 99 total as well. But obviously, the Lombardi is probably more important to him. But with that in mind, he's probably going to want to have some confidence in who the QB is for whichever team he ultimately decides on. And as we all know, that's not exactly stable at the moment in Baltimore. So let's see how the free agent market treats him in the meantime. And who knows, we could be revisiting this conversation in the coming weeks. But next up on our free agency tracker is guard Ben Powers, who cashed in big time with the Denver Broncos on a four-year deal worth $52 million. Powers led Baltimore with over 1,000 snaps logged in 2022, and that made him the only Ravens player to participate in every offensive play last year. The former 2019 fourth-round pick ranked 10th among all NFL guards in pass-block win rate and second among guards in run-block win rate last season, and it was a heck of a turnaround. And Bobby, and that's why we definitely saw this move coming. Uh, and good for Ben Powers, too. For him to have been viewed as a bubble guy to make the 53-man roster just last summer and now where he is with the money he just got, that's one heck of a turnaround and one that the Ravens are expected to see some return on. Because according to Over the Caps' Nick Cordy, 
Baltimore is projected to earn a 2024 fourth round compensatory pick as a result. So they turned a former fourth rounder into a starter, and now they'll get another fourth rounder in compensatory picks. All right, Bobby, what else went down on Monday? Yeah, so the Minnesota Vikings agreed to terms with tight end Josh Oliver on a three-year, $21 million deal. The 25-year-old backup logged just 14 catches in Baltimore a season ago, but he is widely regarded as one of the league's top blocking tight ends. And being that Eric DaCosta traded a conditional seventh-round draft pick for him in 2021, the return is also expected to come in the form of a compensatory selection. It's looking like a 2024 sixth rounder is in play here, according to over the cap. And, you know, with Mark Andrews signed long term and both Isaiah Likely and Charlie Kohler still on their rookie deals. I think, again, we, we kind of saw this one coming. But overall, that's where things stand at the moment, Sarah. So. Chuck Clark was traded to the Jets last week in exchange for a 2024 seventh rounder. Calais Campbell set the test out free agency, having been released. Ben Powers earned a huge payday and is Denver bound, while Josh Oliver packs his bags for Minnesota to move some bodies around in the run game for the Vikings. So again, as we tape this on Monday night, that's the latest. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Sarah, I think it's fair to say a lot has transpired in the last 24 hours since we recorded our last episode. Remember, we left things off by outlining NFL insider Adam Schefter's detailed report about what the Ravens offered Lamar Jackson back in September of 2022. And with those new details, we finally, finally had apple-to-apple comparisons with other top-of-the-market quarterback deals, i.e. Kyler Murray, And Russell Wilson. But then Tuesday morning, of course, Lamar popped on Twitter and clapped back at that report in a big way that got everybody talking. So let's dive into it. Yeah, I mean, Lamar clearly didn't seem to be happy. uh, But in an effort to be as clear and accurate as possible, I want to pinpoint exactly what Lamar was clapping back against. 
Now, it was the local Twitter account, Baltimore Beatdown, that tweeted a very vague summary of what Schefter reported. This account wrote, quote, Lamar Jackson turned down 200 million guaranteed deal back in September, close quote. Okay, that's when Lamar retweeted that very tweet with a meme of a guy wearing a bunch of caps on his head and looking, you know, into the camera with a side eye. Lamar also tweeted, 33 over three years fully guaranteed, frown emoji, but I need an agent, laugh emoji, forehead slap emoji. And then finally, Lamar tweeted, quote, people throw poop emoji (laughs) at the wall and hope it sticks, close quote. In other words, as I try to decipher this, here we go again. I think this is one of the easier ones, though. (laughs) Sometimes it's hieroglyphics. You never know. But I think we can probably safely say that he's saying that this report is a lie. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly what he's trying to say with the guy wearing caps. The report's a cap. Uh, And Bobby, technically, Lamar's not wrong. But here's the thing, and I know this is going to sound crazy to some at first. Hopefully I'll explain it. But neither Schefter nor Lamar is wrong. I think they both kind of got it right. All right, and here's why. If you've been listening to this show over the last several months, you know that we, I'm definitely a stickler with exact language of guarantees and contracts. And I do that because it's so confusing. So if anybody just uses the word guaranteed without being more specific, They are inviting confusion and debate. And that's what Baltimore Beatdown did with that tweet. They made it easy to debate or to push back on what the claim was. Meanwhile, Adam Schefter's report and Lamar Jackson's reply tweet of what was offered, it was much more detailed than what Baltimore Beatdown put out. Both Schefter and Lamar were more nuanced. So Baltimore beatdown was not. And so that invites confusion and debate. So it wasn't too long after all this back and forth that Schefter went on live television and he stood by his report saying that he and Chris Mortensen, that they read the contract offer themselves. Well, listen, Lamar pointed out some facts that he felt were relevant to his situation, right? But here's the deal. This is something that Chris Mortensen and I reported in September, nothing new. Mm -hmm. We saw the contract back then, it was reviewed, and the contract included $133 million guaranteed at signing. Fully, completely guaranteed. Then, essentially, there were injury guarantees that brought it up to $175 million guaranteed for injury. That's real. It was 168. There was another $7 million that is accounted for at a little later date. It makes it $175 million in guaranteed salary. Then, we mentioned this springing guarantee of basically $25 million. It would have raised it from $175 to $200 million if he was on the roster on the fifth day of the 2026 league year. So three years from now, if he's on the roster, he gets another 25. So that's not really guaranteed, even though you're calling it yep. a $200 million springing guarantee. What is guaranteed is 133. What is guaranteed is 175. Because essentially, for that 175 not to kick in, Baltimore would have had to release him now and take a cap hit of $70 million. They're not doing that. So the deal that was offered to him, and these are just the facts from the contract, no spin, no nothing, 175. 
That was the real guarantee with injury that Lamar Jackson turned down. So basically, Schefter is standing by his report, as he should, which clearly stated that Lamar was offered $133 million fully guaranteed at signing. Then after three years, a springing guarantee would be triggered of $67 million. And then getting to Lamar's tweet, he did say, he made it clear that he was offered $133 million fully guaranteed over three years. So Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but what Adam and Lamar are both saying, I mean, they, they align with one another, do they not? Yeah, bingo, bingo. Adam is saying he was offered $133 million fully guaranteed, and then the rest of the quote-unquote guaranteed money is triggered three years later. So that's 133 over three years. Lamar Jackson was very specific. He didn't use just the word guaranteed. He said fully guaranteed, and he said over three years. So, yeah, that's not conflicting. So in my estimation, neither seems to be lying. I know everybody's trying to say, oh, he's lying, they're lying, Ravens are lying. I just don't see the conflict. Now, there's a chance Lamar is referring to a completely different offer. Because remember, the Ravens have reportedly made multiple offers. But either way, if Lamar is talking about a new offer or if he's talking about the same offer, they're both saying $133 million fully guaranteed over three years. There's no contradiction here. So let me ask a question that I know we've both gotten a lot, Sarah. If that $67 million in so-called guaranteed money has a stipulation attached, which in this case is basically that he must still be on the roster by 2026, giving the Ravens an out by cutting him if they wanted, then why in the world is it called a guarantee? Like, that's the confusing nature of this, right? Yeah, and that is the big question, Bobby, and one that I've been wondering for years. When I first started learning about contract language, I was like, wait, (laughs) why is this number called a guarantee when there are conditions attached? I still don't have an answer for that. But what I can say, Bobby, is that neither Schefter nor the Ravens are suddenly making up contract language on the fly here. Almost all. All contracts have different forms of guarantees from full it signing, injury guarantees, rolling guarantees, total guarantees, all these guarantees, guarantees, guarantees. All right. So let me give an example to show you that it's not just Lamar in this case. Let's look at Kyler Murray. Okay. His contract as an example. And I picked him because a lot of people have incorrectly compared Lamar's full guarantee of $133 million to Murray's total guarantees of 189 million. But here's the thing. That 189 million for Murray isn't a true guarantee either. Here's how his breakdown goes. He gets 103.3 million guaranteed at signing. Okay? So almost 30 million less than Lamar. Then he gets 18 million guaranteed the 5th league day of 2024. He gets another 23 million guaranteed the 5th league day of 2025. And he gets another $19.5 million guaranteed on the fifth league day of 2026. And then I can keep going. There are a bunch of other roster bonus guarantees that kick in on different dates too. So that's how you go from $103.3 million guaranteed for Kyler at signing to a suddenly $189 in total guarantees. And that's the number that has widely been reported everywhere. So, yeah, I think it's silly that these are all called guarantees. But that's how the contract language is across the league. And at the end of the day, Kyler was offered 103, fully guaranteed at signing. Russell Wilson got 123. And then Lamar was offered 133 million, which is the second most in NFL history. Then Watson blew them all away 
all out of the water with 230 million guaranteed. You take that outlier out of the system here and it's looking awfully fair what the what the Ravens offered Lamar, but uh at the end of the day, they can't come to an agreement and it's abundantly clear that all of this what you just mentioned, it's at the epicenter of it. Yeah, exactly, Bobby. All of this back and forth with Lamar today, all it did was shed light on the very thing that has been argued for months. There's nothing new here today. What matters to Lamar is what is truly, fully guaranteed at signing. All this rolling guaranteed talk, it's mumbo jumbo to him. And that is exactly why there is a stalemate between these two sides. The Ravens offered him a traditional top of the market deal with traditional language that has been given to all quarterbacks, save Deshaun Watson and Kirk Cousins. And Lamar wants something that's not traditional. He wants something in the ballpark of Watson. And you know what? Hey, maybe we're about to see if he can go and get it. The market will speak on this because for the first time since he's been drafted, other NFL teams will be able to offer him deals starting at 4 p.m. today, today, Wednesday. There are some teams, yeah, they're off the table, but others could be getting ready to make a move. For example, here's what ESPN's Jamison Hensley tweeted late Tuesday night, quote, Colts are clearing a lot of cap space today by releasing quarterback Matt Ryan and trading Stefan Gilmore today. Makes you wonder whether they're preparing to make a big move. Hmm. Close quote. All right, still to come here on The Vault. Ravens salary cap extraordinaire Brian McFarland drops by to discuss the team's decision to release Clayus Campbell and much more, including what Baltimore's front office is doing in preparation for a potential scenario of matching a Lamar Jackson offer sheet. All right, Bobby, you welcomed Raven Salary Cap Analyst and Russell Street Reports' Brian McFarland back to the show to discuss several topics ahead of today's official start to free agency. Yes, Sarah, we kicked things off with his reaction to Baltimore's decision to release 15-year veteran defensive end Calais Campbell earlier this week. Of course, it was a move that made the Ravens cap compliant ahead of today's new league year. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that um, Eric DaCosta uh, at the Combine didn't have a real ringing um, endorsement sound to his voice, so to speak, when he, when Campbell was brought up. Um, you know, when I look at the cap, I always say teams want to find if, if there's going to be a cut, they'd rather cut one guy for the most amount of money than three or four guys to get to that amount of money. Um, and Calais was the, you know, the biggest cut they had uh, as far as cap space at seven million. And to be perfectly honest with you, I mean, that may have been as much him saying to the Ravens, hey, you know, you guys are, in, you know, a lot of uncertainty going around this team. I may only have a year left. Uh, you know, I want to go someplace that, you know, I, I, I can feel uh, has a better shot at a Super Bowl. And, you know, with Lamar up in the air, Lamar not maybe showing up till August um, and all that all that entails, you know, maybe he went to the Ravens too and said, and you know, they, they've been accommodating of guys like that in the past. And, you know, Kalea certainly, you know, commands respect, and, uh, for, you know, given the guy he is and, uh, you know, Walter Payton man, uh, man of the year awards he has. So, um, so I, I, it didn't surprise me terribly. 
Um, you know, I would have liked to seen him return on a one, you know, two year deal, lower this, lower that cap number. And, you know, maybe not create, wouldn't create the 7 million in savings, but maybe three or four. Um, but obviously, you know, the, when they're penny pinching at this point and with the eye towards somebody potentially making a, an offer sheet towards Lamar, then they're going to have to have every bit of cap space they can get. Obviously, as EDC mentioned in his statement with the release, you know, attached to the release, this isn't necessarily a be all end all. He's going to go test the market. And who knows? We'll, we'll see how things shake out, especially once the quarterback position is fortified one way or another in Baltimore. And that's where I'm going next. And you just alluded to it, Brian. What is the team doing uh, in layman's terms behind the scenes right now, getting ready for the potential of an offer sheet and and obviously having to match that if one were to be signed by Lamar. Yeah, I mean so obviously the con- the biggest concern is that a team would come in and front load uh the contract and create a, a an offer sheet that would have a very large cap number uh this year, which would make it where the Ravens would have to create cap space um to accommodate that number. Now, once if they when they would, once that's done, they can always restructure it later and reduce that and spread that out. But the bottom line is they would have to, you know, if a team creates a a $60 million cap number, they're going to have to come up, you know, they're going to have to meet that number in order to, uh, in order to match that, that, that offer sheet. So obviously they, they, they did a couple pay cuts, um, Michael Pierce and Gus Bradley, uh, Gus Edwards, sorry. Um, And then, uh, obviously, they restructured um, Kevin Zeitler's deal, um, so that has has them right now. Once the well, at, immediately after the start of the new year, new league year next, uh, I'm sorry, tomorrow, um, they will uh, trade Chuck Clark, and that will give them a little over 10 million in cap space uh, for now. But they do have the ability through what we call simple restructures, which is not void years. I'll get into that in a second. But without void years, they can create another $26 million by restructuring a lot of their, their your Humphreys, your Stanleys, your Andrews, Roquan Smith, uh, a lot of those guys. So they can do that, and that's without using void years now. If they want to maximize those out, um, I actually haven't run the numbers on those yet, but I mean they, that could probably create $40 million in cap space. So, I mean, they have the ability to do that. And I do think by using void years and void years, it's uh, you know, something new for them. A lot of teams use them during the pandemic. It's not something you generally want to use, but when you need it, you need it. So and right now they're probably in that needed mode. They didn't do it terribly with uh, with the three they just redid. But I do think it's also it's almost symbolic more than anything to a team out there wanting to make up an offer sheet that, look, we're willing to use void years. You guys can do the math on our cap. You, we, you can see that we can, we can match just about anybody's offer. If you front load it, go ahead, we'll match it. And I think that's a, I think that's a sign to everybody basically saying, you know, we're not interested in, you know, playing games here. If you guys want to negotiate a deal for Lamar and we have been able to get over the hump, all right, fine. We'll match it. Yeah, we'll see Indianapolis as we tape this on Tuesday night. The 14th is clearing all kinds of room when it comes to cap space. So we'll see how the next 24 hours pans out uh, in Baltimore and beyond, of course, uh, across the league. But uh, Brian, now that the figures are out there through Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen's reporting back in September of 2022, do you think the Ravens offered Lamar a fair deal then? 
that deal, I mean, obviously, beauty is always in the eyes of the beholder, but that deal was consistent with the way contracts have, other than, so I'll come back to it, but other than Deshaun Watson, because that's the outlier until the next one comes along, I guess. But that deal was consistent with how the next big quarterback contract comes along and that guy tops it by a little. And then the next guy comes along and that guy tops it by a little. So if you go back to Deshaun Watson last summer, that, that, that contract happened. But after that, uh, Kyler Murray signed. His deal fell back within that, topping the, the previous guy. Um, and then uh, Russell Wilson's deal came along, and that was a little more than Murray's. Uh, I'm not sorry. That was, yeah, it was a little more than Murray's. And that, so that, you know, it's this little step up each, each deal steps up a little more. The deal they offered Lamar was a step up on both of those deals. So it was right in line with the history of the way um, these, these contracts go. Now, obviously, you know, Lamar and, and others want to point to Watson's deal as the new precedent. Um, and certainly the NFLPA seems to be pushing uh, Lamar because if Lamar gets that, it gets a fully guaranteed deal, then I think the floodgates open. Then nobody can say that um, that the Watson deal is an outlier anymore. It's not just a, a desperate Cleveland Browns. It's a well-run organization like the organization like the Ravens going out there and, you know, giving fully guaranteed. So um, now I will say, you know, since you mentioned the Colts, if the Colts were to prove, and I think Hearsay is a, you know, he's a hard, he's a, he's a league guy, but so I don't see them going fully guaranteed. But at this point, if somebody did come along and go fully guaranteed, I still think the Ravens would match it. I don't think the Ravens are, the Ravens don't want to set the precedent. I don't think they're philosophically opposed. I think they're, I think they're very clear they want to keep Lamar at all costs. It'll be a lot easier for them to match a deal that somebody else has created. If, and, it's, and, and, you know, Bashadi can go back to the other owners and put his hands up there and go, hey, I didn't. I, I I gave him fully guaranteed, but only because I matched the deal. I wasn't. I didn't set the precedent. <laughs> they did. I'm just keeping my quarterback. You mm-hmm. know. So and I. So I think that gives the Ravens cover. I mean, I don't think. It's, I don't think it's ever been about money. I mean, they they offered him a very rich contract that was, uh, uh you know, of fifty million a year, which topped it topped Watson too. You know. So, um, so I don't think that is the issue. Um, I, I just think Bishotti's a league guy and he doesn't want to he doesn't want his other owners turn around and give him the stick guy because why did you do that? Because then the Mike Browns, you know, then, then Cincinnati and 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 the Eagles and um, and and I was going to say San Diego, Los Angeles, you know, those owners are, you know, oh, crap. You know, now we get now that now it's a precedent is set. Now we're now we're in trouble. Uh, I, I so I do think they will match. I, I think the offer they gave was a fair offer. It just wasn't fully guaranteed. And Sarah, one thing before we dive into topic three here, Brian really wanted me to reiterate this. And it was a tweet of his. Keep in mind that Lamar is already counting uh, just over thirty two million on the cap, thirty two point four one six to be exact. So in order to match an offer sheet that might have a large twenty twenty three cap number, they would only need additional cap space above the $32.416 million in order to match. And, of course, this goes without saying. A huge thank you to Brian for his insight and expertise. You can follow him on Twitter, if you don't already, at Ravens Salary Cap. So, Sarah, as you know well, it's not every day that we hear from Ravens owner Steve Bashotti. Matter of fact, 
It's almost been a year since he spoke to reporters last year from the annual NFL owners meetings down in Florida. Yeah, Bobby, it's a rare occasion that we get to hear his perspective and why we're not going to get it firsthand. Uh, my ears did perk up when Tony Lombardi from Russell Street Report said that he had spoken with Steve Bashotti very recently. And it was an enlightening conversation that included a last second decision to use the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. Tony explains that here. Recently, I had a conversation with Steve Bishotti, and one of the things we obviously talked about would, was Lamar Jackson. And at the time we spoke, which was a little over two weeks ago, Brian, it seemed to me that the Ravens were leaning towards using the exclusive tag on Lamar and not the non-exclusive. But some things happened during that two-week period since my conversation with Steve and one of those things, I know he brought the giant situation up specifically, worried about maybe the Giants making a play for Lamar. And if that were to happen, I think they had, what, the 24th or 25th pick in this year's draft. And the thought was that, well, with Lamar, they would get better. So the, the other pick in 2024 would be a pick that's even further down the totem pole. And therefore, the present value of that, late first round pick might be an early second round pick this year. So those were the kinds of things he was going through in his mind. I'm sure he and and Eric and John and Ozzy were all talking about these kinds of things when they were down in Florida having their their meeting heading into the offseason. But they they moved from that exclusive position to a non-exclusive position. He said to me it was a calculated move because he felt or they felt that given the changes in the marketplace during that two-week stretch and the fact that the non-exclusive was, what, about $13 million less expensive than the exclusive tag, that they could field a better team with that added cap space. So, Yeah, I find it awfully interesting how much the Giants draft position played into Bashadi's concern, Sarah. I mean, that also kind of lets you know how much that factored into whether the Ravens would match a potential offer. And, you know, the Giants sitting at number 25 is obviously a significant difference from, let's say, I don't know, a Houston all the way up at number two overall. And Bobby, we're now a couple days into free agency. And so far, at least, we'll see what happens. But it seems that this calculated risk by Bashadi and his front office, it seems to be paying off. I mean, things could always change, but... Just in our last episode on Thursday, we went through the entire quarterback market and the chances of a team making an offer really has dwindled down to just one team, the Indianapolis Colts. And it turns out that since that episode, the Colts signed quarterback Gardner Minshew. Now, of course, he could just be a backup. So who knows if they'll truly be off the table. But anyway, back to Lombardi. He went on to say that there have been times when Eric DaCosta and Lamar would make progress in negotiating meetings. And then all of a sudden, the next time they spoke, everything changed. Yeah, you know, I've been told that there have been times when Eric DaCosta has had meetings with Lamar and they've ended those meetings in a very upbeat way, upbeat manner only to find the next day when they think they can move along and get a deal done that Lamar has the behavior of a player or a person who wasn't even aware of what they had talked about the day before. It's almost as if he took it back to the NFLPA. This is what they're offering. He seemed happy with it. They said, don't do it. 
And, and so they don't don't they don't get it done. Now, as you heard, Tony names the NFLPA as the suspected reason behind why Lamar allegedly changed his mind after certain meetings. And then Tony goes much further than that when placing blame on the Players Association for hurting the negotiation process. If Lamar had an agent and he's looking at this deal, he's probably saying the exact same thing you said, Brian, which is after year three, if he performs like he believes he's going to perform, like the Ravens believe he's going to perform, the Ravens have the success of the team that they think they can have with Lamar, that they're recasting this deal anyway. An agent could school and guide him and say something like, you know what, Lamar, we get into this in year four, I'm going to be looking to the Ravens to try to get an extension done for you anyway. So yeah. those that's the kind of mentoring and guidance he's not getting because the NFLPA, I, I, I've been criticized for using this word, but I'm going to use it again. They're using Lamar as a pawn to get to what this Damari Smith wants to get for all his constituents, which is more and more guaranteed deals. And he's he's a pawn in this whole process. And he's losing out on a deal or he's skipping out on a deal right now that's a really attractive deal based upon marking conditions that do not include Deshaun Watson. Yeah. So, Sarah, as Tony mentioned, he's taken some heat. I've seen some of this heat for calling Lamar a pawn in the players union's bigger agenda. You in on this term? I mean, where are you at with it? Yeah, no, I'm not. Um, I personally don't like it. I think it has a connotation of weakness and stupidity. It's, I feel like it's condescending. Now, I don't know if that's how Tony intends it to be, but that's how it comes off to me. And weak and stupid are two terms I would never use to describe Lamar Jackson, not even close. I think Lamar is a man of principle. And anybody who has principles, to keep them, it takes tremendous strength. I also find Lamar to be very intelligent. Look, of course, the NFLPA has an agenda for sure. There's no denying that. But everyone has an agenda. Lamar has an agenda. The Ravens have an agenda. They all have one. And so when the Ravens and Lamar's agenda happens to align, they work together. If they don't, then, you know, they don't work together. And that's what this whole negotiation is about. And when Lamar and the NFLPA's agendas align, they'll work together. I just don't think you know Lamar if you don't think he'd walk away from any situation he doesn't want to be in. Now, that said, I also think it's fair for people like Russell Street Reports capologist Brian McFarland. There's nobody that knows the Ravens cap better than him. Now, he pointed out how Lamar may have potentially lost millions of dollars by choosing to align with the NFL PA in a fight for fully guaranteed money. Instead of negotiating in a more traditional way, kind of like Josh Allen did way back when he got his contract. Obviously, those two are 2018 draft mates. So Brian explains how millions could have been left on the table. Lamar has missed out on millions of dollars if he had signed back when Josh Allen signed. Now, we don't know what the offers were at that point, but if he signs there, and even if it's $43 million per year as opposed to you know what he might get at 50, 51, 52, 53, whatever it might be, whenever he does get around to signing, you know, but he's lost three years of that money. Now, granted, he's, he, you know, so last year it was 23, but that's, you know, that's 20 million less on average. This year it's 32, so it's 10 million. But the year before, that third year, he made what, a million and a half? Um, 
you know, and that would have been, you know, that big signing bonus. So that's money. You know, he's still going to, at some point he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid handsomely, whether it's here or somewhere else. But those, those, these last three years, he's never going to get that money back. Um, and again, as we just said, if, if this was the third or fourth, you know, if he did sign back then, you know, and by next year or the year after, he's going to get redone anyway, because Burrow's going to come in, you know, if he's at 43, Burrow's coming in at 55 or, you know, or, or Hurts at 52. And then all the quarterbacks will be like, okay, well, it's time to get my deal redone because, you know, and that's just the way the, the, you know, the process works. Yeah. So Brian's correct when he says many quarterbacks don't play to the end of their deal. Right. I can especially remember the big one in Baltimore. Remember when it was announced that Joe Flacco got a record breaking $120 million deal over six years. And almost immediately, Joe Linta, his agent, came out and said it was really just a three year deal. And guess what? It was. Joe got another new deal that Joe Linta negotiated with the Ravens after just three years. And as I was thinking it through, it really would be crazy if Josh Allen started a second negotiation for a big deal after, say, the 2024 season, about three, four years into his deal, while Lamar could potentially be coming off his second franchise tag negotiating his first big deal and still to come here on the vault the ravens are once again connected to a free agent wide receiver but sarah how would they even go about signing him if there just so happened to be mutual interest stay tuned all right bobby day two of nfl free agency came and went and a certain available wide receiver continues to hear his name mentioned alongside the Ravens. Yes, Sarah, veteran Odell Beckham Jr. remains available on the open market. And of course, he's being mentioned alongside the Ravens. We all know Baltimore has to retool its wide receiver room. And as long as that stays the case, and as long as OBJ remains a free agent, we're going to keep seeing and hearing about some interest because that's how good agents do business for their clients. Right, and the Ravens aren't the only team linked to OBJ at the moment, obviously. I mean, add in Kansas City, Dallas, sound like Dallas was a really big one, uh, and there was a couple more as well, and that's according to the scores, Jordan Schultz. But, Bobby, for the purpose of this exercise, how would the cap-strapped Ravens even pull off of signing with OBJ, or, I mean, put in any big wide receiver, how would the Ravens be able to pull that off? Because they did say that they wanted to retool. Well, I'd say luckily for them, they have some lucrative player contracts who signed big extensions within the last couple of years. And that gives them considerable flexibility. Here's more from Brian McFarland on that. Yeah. So there's about eight players that they can restructure, starting with Stanley and Humphrey at the top, which can create seven and a half million and seven point three million all the way down to Morgan Moses and Patrick McCarry, who can create about $1.4 million each. If they do what we call simple restructures, which is just, again, spreading, giving them, reducing their salary down to the minimum, giving them a signing bonus for the difference and spreading that out over the remaining years of the deal, so not using void years, they can create about $26 million. But they have to be cognizant, obviously, as you said, there's those future expenses, and they have to be cognizant of a team coming along and, you know, putting in an offer sheet for Lamar. You know, so obviously I, I do think they're going to do something at wide receiver in the free agent market, whether or whether it's a trade or as well. Um, I mean, they need to get a veteran guy in here. All right, Sarah. So now we know how the team can specifically go about creating cap space to accommodate a player like OBJ. But 
as Brian was wise to point out, and he's absolutely spot on. This front office is also going to have to spend some money on the wide receiver position one way or another to entice Lamar Jackson because it's nowhere near acceptable right now. Yeah, I completely agree with Brian there, but it's sort of a double-edged sword right now, don't you think? I mean, because on the flip side, well, let's just revisit what Josina Anderson told us last weekend. Definitely got to get things with resolved with Lamar. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely, you know, a, a big yeah, aspect small. of it. You know, kind of just kind of a small, you're right, Sarah, there's a little <laughs> small detail there. Um, and, you know, clearly I think that uh, OBJ is very anxious to get back into, you know, the team fold. You know, one of the things that people forget when you are rehabbing is that, especially when you are free agent, is that that's all on your dime. He's been spending yep. his own money, you know, with all he's at IMGs at Exos, you know, he's, you know, doing all this stuff. So it costs money. And that was, of course, it wasn't the only thing, but that was like, you know, one of the considerations for possibly trying to come back last year as, as he was having those talks with the Cowboys and Jerry Jones was trying to talk to him and be like, yo, you know, you could come into our facilities. We got the best, you know, training staff. You, you could, you know, it'll be on our dime. All this other stuff to answer your question with the, uh, with the Ravens definitely have to get the quarterback aspect, you know, resolved. I think that he's going to look at all of the offers that he gets and he is going to weigh everything out. Um, part of that, yes, is going to be what he is getting offered. So to answer that question, because, you know, someone just texted me and said, so is he really asking for 20 million a year or whatever? I, I haven't specifically asked him if it's if it's 20, but he did text me yesterday and was like, he does what what he's worth. So I'm sure that it's a it's a you know, significant number. Um, and I do think that part of what plays into that for Odell is not just, um, you know, he knows what he can do. 